You know, there's a lot of things that I could share with you this morning about what I feel like the Lord is saying to us, what he wants to do going into this new year. But the thing that he just keeps bringing my heart back to, the thing that he just keeps saying to me over and over is that he's drawing us into a place of greater intimacy with him. And, you know, it's wonderful to listen to teaching and listen to preaching and to learn about God. But at the end of the day, he just wants us to spend time with him and to get to know his heart and to come and just sit with him and just just worship him and just to spend time in greater intimacy with him. And so as I was worshiping in the new year on, on New Year's Eve, um, Jarrett was already in bed because he had to work the next day. So I was just praising and I was worshiping. And this word came, and I just want to share this word with you this morning. I'm drawing you into my secret place. My fragrance is love. My sound is mercy and grace. Follow the fragrance. Follow the sound. They'll lead you to where I can be found. The essence of all things is relationship with me. This is just a glimpse of how eternity will be. I know your heart. Let me show you mine. Come to my table and drink the new wine. Don't settle for portions from days gone by. You can't drink from a well that's already dry. There's a new flow coming fresh from my throne. There's a new song sounding. Listen for the tone. All things being birthed begin with me. The seeds are planted through intimacy. My bride is ready to know me more. I'm lifting the veil like never before. The door is open and heaven awaits. Now is the time to step through the gate. If you'll just close your eyes, I would just like to pray this word over you and just receive from Holy Spirit. Father, I just thank you that you are drawing us in to a place of greater intimacy with you. And I just thank you that the very essence of who you are is love and is mercy and is grace. And I just thank you, Father, that when we search for you with all of our heart, that you will be found. And I thank you, Lord, that you created us for intimacy and relationship with you. And that this is just a glimpse because someday when we see you face to face, we will, we will live with you, Father, in heaven for eternity. And I thank you, Lord, that you know our hearts. You know everything about us. And you, yet you want to show us your heart. You want to show us more of who you are. I thank you, Lord, that you're inviting us to your banquet table, that you're pouring out the new wine, that we don't have to just settle for what you've done in the past, but you're doing a new thing, Lord. You're doing a new thing, Father. And I thank you that a new fresh flow is coming from your throne. I thank you, Lord, that there's a new song sounding, and I just pray that you will give us ears to hear the new song that you're singing over us. I thank you, Father, that you are birthing things in our spirits, that you are birthing dreams and visions, and those seeds will be planted in those times that we spend in intimacy with you. I thank you, Lord, that, that you're revealing yourself to your bride, that we are ready to know more truth, that we are ready to know more revelation, and you are pouring out that revelation in this time, in this hour, like never before. I thank you, Father, that you are saying that, that heaven is an open door, 
that now is the time and that all we have to do is step into it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Be shared today because let me tell you something. You cannot do what I'm going to ask you to do today without intimacy with the Lord. I'm going to share something with you that I believe that, that is, it, is, it, is, it is so crucial, and, and I believe it's what God is doing, but it cannot be done without intimacy. This cannot be done with your flesh, because if you think you can do it with your flesh, then anybody could accomplish it. But we serve a supernatural God who wants to so, show himself supernatural on the earth. I want you to think about this before I get started. There were 12 tribes of Israel... How many took care of the house of God? What did the other 11 do? They went out and worked. They went out in the community. They went out around people. And they worked. He didn't send one tribe out to work. He sent 11. And I want to suggest to you that the same principle holds true today. I'm just very fortunate that I get to stand up here and talk. I, I find it amazing at times. When I first became pastor at Hillcrest, I looked at my wife and I said... I'm going to speak once, and what's going to cause them to come back next week? And she said, hopefully they're going to hear God through you, and they'll come back. Because if they're only hearing you, they're not coming back, John. And I went, thank you, honey. <laughs> but you know what? She's exactly right. You don't want to hear what John has to say. You want to hear what God has to say. You don't want to hear what CJ has to say. You want to hear what God has to say through your pastor, CJ, or through Hillcrest. And I want to tell you, there's been a bond over the years between New Covenant and Hillcrest. I mean, you don't know this. When we built our gym in the 90s, we got stuck at a place, and we needed about a few 10000 dollars to finish the little project we were on. And all of a sudden, there came a check from New Covenant for just the amount we needed. Now, you didn't know you had that kind of bond with Hillcrest, probably. Because, you know, I don't know if we ever came over, but I say thank you. Because that's the kind of church you are. You're very giving, you're very loving, and... Um, in fact, CJ and I, uh, when he became pastor, we started meeting. Now, we don't meet every Thursday, but we meet almost every Thursday at, uh, at McDonald's because we can get a glass of tea for a dollar, and we'll sit and share about what's going on in our lives. And, and we started talking about this. Guys, uh, you want to switch over to my PowerPoint? Um, we started talking about this idea of what would happen if a few hundred people in town caught this idea, and we called it work as worship. In Genesis chapter 2... In 15 it says, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. God gave this garden to man and he said, You work it. Now that word cultivate is the Hebrew word abad, A-B-A-D. And when you look that up, it, does, it means work, it means cultivate, but it also has another primary meaning. It means worship. When God gave the garden to man and he worked it, as he worked that garden, he was worshiping. See, we've, we've narrowed worship down to such a small idea that worship is what these guys do with us for 25, 30, 40 minutes on Sunday, and we call our worship good. Let me explain something to you. We worship 24-7. We go to service at 10 o'clock or 10.45 at Hillcrest on Sunday mornings. Your whole life is worship. Because let me ask you something. I mean, I shared, I, I get the privilege of pastoring Hillcrest. 
I, I, I go to work there, and that's where I work, and that's what I'm about. But I want to suggest that at Hillcrest, and CJ comes here, you might have a few staff members, but the rest of you all are going to step out, and you're going to step into the workplace this week. You're going to work 40 to 60 to 70 hours at your job. And, and, if you, and if you look at it like this, see, what we've done in America is this. We have compartmentalized everything. And I'll just use a couple of chairs here. I like illustrations. Too many of us do this. I'll just use two. And you can just imagine more. Most some of us do this. This is my church chair. And when I go to church, I get in my church chair and I worship God. And when I finish on Sunday morning, I'm finished. And now I'm going to go to work on Monday and I'm going to get in my work chair. And the two should never meet. They are separated. Now I'm at work. And too many of us have another chair. And it's called my entertainment chair. And I'm going to go sit and I'm going to view my entertainment. Now I'm not going to filter it through the lens of God. I'm only going to filter it through entertainment. See, that is a Greek model of life. But we're not Greeks. We are Hebrews. And Hebrews viewed everything through one lens, the lens of God. So no matter when they were working or whatever they were doing, they were looking through one lens. So when they worked, they viewed it through the lens of God. When they did their entertainment, they did it through the lens of God. When they were married, they did their marriage through the lens of God. And that's why our country's in such a mess. Because we can say, well, it's just in my entertainment. And my entertainment shouldn't have anything to do with God. What you watch on TV should have everything with what you do with God. The movies you go to see should have everything you do with God. And the work that you do should have everything to do with God. And so you sit in one chair to view everything. And so how do we do this? And I'm going to give you four thoughts on how to do your work. I'm also going to read you a couple of stories out of this book and maybe more. Because, you see, you got me up really early, which is really good. And I, knew, I, don't, I normally at Hillcrest don't finish till noon. So I feel like I got all kinds of time. <laughs> I won't keep you that long. I'll, I'll, I'll honor your time. Next slide. I think the first thing our work needs to be is excellent. And if I'll take it to the next slide. Colossians 3, 23 through 24 says this. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. See, you think when you go to work you serve your boss. What would happen if you, when you stepped into your job, you said, oh, I'm serving Jesus right now? Would that change the way you work? I look at my college students. I look at these high school kids over here. Let me ask you a question, guys. When you do your homework at school, whether it's OSU or high school or homeschool or private school or whatever you choose, if you did it all as you were doing it for Jesus, would it change the way you did your homework? I want to suggest the answer is yes. They do not want to answer that question. You know why they don't want to answer it? Because they realize that if what I'm saying is true, then it must change the way they live their life doing their homework. Or how you treat your mom and dad. Oh, gosh, Pastor. Now, let me get the parents. Or how you treat your children. 
Oh, you, I, I am an equal opportunity stepper on a toes, people. I, I don't care. I was teasing my kids. I said, I was teasing Morgan. She came with me today. My wife takes care of the nursery at Hillcrest. But I told Morgan, I said, yeah, I love doing this because I can go in and pop in, pop off, and pop out. You know, that's what, uh, that's what you can do. So we want to do our work excellently. Next slide. And, and another verse, it says, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. When God shows up, our behavior should be so excellent in our work that people should look and say, why do you do that so well? Why do you put the extra time in? What, what, what do you do? Maybe it should look like this. Let me tell you a story. I'm going to use this because I have it highlighted. But it's easier if I do it this way so I don't get lost. There was a lady named Marissa, not her real name. She holds a high position in a Fortune 500 company. She came to realize, in addition to caring about her job, she should care about the company she works for. The convictions led her to declare, I am not just an executive, but I am the pastor of this corporation. She began to see her job as a spiritual exercise. Now, it doesn't mean she didn't do her job, but she began to see herself as a helper of those around her. As a result, every morning she, sat, she came in early, still did her job. She set time aside to pray for her company. This is the intimacy that you need for your workplace. For her boss, for her employees, for her associates, and for any of the deals or transactions that uh, were part of her normal workload. One day as she was praying, the Holy Spirit alerted her to the fact that a recent corporate acquisition was flawed. In fact, he provided her with specific information about how the CEO of a recently acquired company had fooled the auditors and, uh, during their due diligence leading up to the transaction. Later that day, as part of her interaction with the CFO, she disclosed to him this with very explosive information, very detailed. The CFO was very surprised at first, but since he, she was providing very specific details... He asked her, how trustworthy is your source? <laughs> Absolutely trustworthy, she said. What else did she say? Since it was God that had told her, God was the informant, the CFO demanded to know who this source was. She kept putting him off. He pressed and pulled rank on her reluctantly, and he blurted out. She finally pulled rank, and he said, you've got to tell me you're going to lose your job. This is too important. So she blurted out, God told me. Uh, the CFO's uh, state of mind went from uh, surprise to shock. God, he says, and what does God have to do with our company? See, too many people have said, God belongs where? But God belongs where? In the company. God belongs in the government. God belongs in every state of the affairs of man. By the way of exclamation, she gave him a version, a three- or four-minute version of the book Anointed for Business, written by the same author as this one. And um, she put it in plain word that God cares about what people in the workplace do and how important corporations are to him, and theirs was also included. Her boss says, I don't know about this, but I'm left with no choice to investigate this further. He proceeded to dispatch a team of auditors to check the records in time with the blueprint of how the uh, alleged fraud had been perpetrated. A few days later, the CFO announced that everything that had been reported turned out to be correct. The specifics she provided were key to the success of the auditing team. 
After a brief pause, he went on to say, uh, with a little bit of trepidation, what else did God tell you? (laughs) Did God tell you anything about me? What a witnessing opportunity. You see, we want to impact not just here, but we step out into the workplace where you spend 40, 50 hours a week. And you know what? God wants that intimacy that she shared with earlier to be a part of what you do in your company and where you work. Really? I just thought I had a job. You do have a job. It's called to advance the kingdom of God. But do your job well. Now, I'm not saying go to work and pray all day and don't do your work. Your boss will not like that. But why can't you go in 15 minutes early? Spend some intimate time with God about your company and about the place that you work. And ask God to give you revelation knowledge. And and do this. I'm finding this is very difficult to do. See, there's some stuff that's pretty easy for me to do. There's some things that are very difficult. I'm discovering this. You're saying, well, you're a pastor. Everything ought to be easy spiritually. Not if Satan doesn't like it. I'm telling you, it's, it's just, this is what I'm trying to learn to do. And I'm going to kind of give you this challenge. See, when I walk into church, I know it's God's place. But when I walk in anywhere else, I'm beginning to, dec- I'm beginning to make these declarations. CJ and I have been talking about The kingdom of God has entered this place and the gates of hell will not prevail. You know what? CJ's got me doing the police chaplaincy for OSU. So now I walk into the police station. It's the craziest thing. They've given me a key. I don't even understand it. They they give me an outfit. I mean, I can go anywhere. And you know what I'm going to do when I walk in? The kingdom of God has now entered this place and the gates of hell will not prevail. One of the officers the other day told me, he said, John, I don't know, the whole attitude of the OSU police department's changed since you've come. And I said, it wasn't me, guys, it's the Holy Spirit that showed up with me. Amen? Can that not change anything? But do your work excellently, keep your behavior excellent, and then let God show himself off as you do good things in your company. He'll declare, give you another one. Be holy in your work. See, 1 Peter 1, 14 and 16 says this, As obedient children do not be conformed to the former lust who are in yours in ignorance, but alike the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Holiness means sacred, pure, blameless, consecrated. It means not to have things that, that go awry in your work. Proverbs 11.1 tells me this, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. We want everything we do to be equitable and to be honest, to be, to be holy, to be consecrated, to be set apart. When you go to your work, do it holy. Do it with integrity. Do it setting things apart. And if something's out of order, trust God to fix it. Go, well, how does that work? Well, I went to a conference. I'll never forget this conference I went to. It's called Character First. I went about 20 years ago, and I've never forgotten this, this story this man told. He said he owned a uh, distribution that distributed soft drinks to, to uh, grocery stores and 7-Elevens and Kmart's, little things like that. And the son was taking it over, and he went through this thing, and, and the Lord just said, we've got to not have, we've got to have equal weights. 
And his dad, his dad who was running it said, well, son, you can't do that because I charge this store this amount. I charge this store this amount. Kind of, I've known this guy a long time, so I charge him less. This is a new guy. I charge him more. And, you know, everybody paid a different price for the Coke and the Dr. Pepper. And his son said, dad, this is wrong. This is not honoring to God. It says that this is an abomination. He showed him the scripture and he said, son, if you try to level it out, we're going to go broke. And the son said, Dad, you've given me the business. I would rather go broke with integrity than have wealth with dishonesty. Hmm. His dad said, well, it's your business. You'll be broke. I don't care. I've already got my part out of it. You know, sometimes kids lead the parents. So he went to all the places and said, this is the price everybody's going to pay. The only break you get is if you buy more. You buy 10 cases, a little bit cheaper. If you buy 20 cases, a little bit cheaper. If you buy 30 cases, a little bit cheaper. But everybody's paying the same. Dad said, son, you're going to be broke. You know what happened three months later? The company was making more than it had ever made because they started doing it God's way. When you walk with holiness and when you separate yourself and walk with integrity, it will change everything. I had the privilege of meeting Steve Green, the founder of Hobby Lobby or one of them, I think it was Steve that I met and got to get, get heard speak. He told about closing Hobby Lobbies on Sunday. So when they decided to close Hobby Lobbies on Sunday, his chief financial officer said, uh, hey, I know you're the boss, but we're going to go bankrupt if you do this. Again, you follow God and you go bankrupt, right? That's the, that's the world's mentality. That's Chick-fil-A. I've never seen so many people in line for chicken sandwiches. Any day but Sunday. But Steve was open on Sunday, and he said, and so he told his CFO, he said, okay, I'll listen to you, but this is what we're going to do. We're going to divide the Hobby Lobby stores into four quadrants. We're going to north, south, east, and west, and and then we're going to take one quadrant, and we're going to close them on Sundays, and we're going to see how that quadrant does, and then we'll close the other ones, and we'll make it. So that might work, but boy, we're going to struggle. See, anytime you think you're going to do something God's way, our first response is you're going to struggle. But you're not. And guess what happened to the quarter that were closed on Sunday? They made more profits than the other three put together. It did not take Steve Green long to close all the Hobby Lobbies on Sunday. They didn't do it a quarter at a time. The other three went right away. Why? Because when you honor God... You honor God in sacred, pure, blameless, consecrated way, and you set yourself apart to be a believer in the way it works, that will function well for you. You know, boy, I could do... Some days I get up here and think, oh, there's so much when I come to be a guest speaker that just floods my brain. I mean, I could tell you about the government, why it should work better. I mean, it was founded on biblical principles. I could do a message for you on why the Constitution's unconstitutional based on this mindset out there that you can't have anything to do with the Bible other than the fact of where the three branches of government come from. Isaiah 33, 22, The Lord is my king, the Lord is my lawgiver, the Lord is my judge, I will honor the king. Does that sound like the three branches of government? Our forefathers just read it out of the Bible. Why did churches tax exempt? Jeremiah 17, 9. Why, is it t- why, why does the president have to be a natural-born citizen? Because God said, if anybody's going to rule Israel, they must be a natural-born Israelite. 
And so our forefathers looked and said, well, if, the, if God wanted a natural-born Israelite to lead Israel, we ought to get a natural-born American to lead America. Novel thing, isn't it? It's just right in the Constitution. It comes straight out of Scripture. But when we follow those things, you see the blessings of God flow. When you walk in this thing called holiness, and you go, boy, it's tired. You know, you know what I love about this? You can't do it. But the scripture says, be holy as I'm holy. I can't be holy. How's that supposed to work, John? You know, I believe God gives these impossible things so that I have to cry out to him and say, God, I can't be holy, but God, when you fill me with your spirit, I can be holy. Because you said, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And, and, and these instruments are the righteousness of God and they are holy, they are set apart. And what happened at the cross was so unique, not only at the cross were my sins taken, not only did God take my sin at the cross and place it on Jesus. I mean, that's awesome enough, isn't it? But he did this. He did a second thing. It's called imputed righteousness. But the righteousness that was on Jesus came to me. So now when God looks down, he just doesn't see a blank slate. He sees the righteousness of Christ in me. I am holy because he has declared I am holy. I am, right, I am righteous. My members are righteous, not because I say they're righteous, but because God has declared them as so. And see, that's why I say so many times people struggle with putting their hands up when they worship because they look at their arms and say, look at what my hands have done. They have done evil things. Yeah, they have, but God has declared them righteous. I can lift holy hands. You know why I can lift holy hands? Because my hands are holy. Why are my hands holy? Because God has declared them so. So don't ever worry about going, oh my gosh, I'm lifting my hands. And they're unrighteous. No, they are, the, they are holy because God has declared them as such. So be holy in your workplace. Do things with integrity. Do things like that. Gosh, I'm, going, I'm talking too fast. But I'll go slower and tell more stories. Be redemptive in your work. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Titus 2, 14 says, Who gave himself us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Our work is to be redemptive. I'm going to make sure I do the right. I mark these on this, so I want to make sure I do the right thing here. And I normally never look at notes. Let me tell you another story. Now see, we sometimes think... Well, it can only be the big boss that can change a company, right? Because I'm just a clerk, or I'm just a worker. And I really couldn't change anything in a company like the guy that's the CFO or the CEO or the, or the Fortune 500 person. Well, let me tell you about a lady named Jessica Austin. She was a single, self-supporting Christian woman. She grew dissatisfied with her secular work at a well-known manufacturing company in Tennessee. 
Early in 2000, she attended a weekend seminar talking about anointed for work. And he made this statement. He said, your job is not your problem, but your job is your platform for the kingdom of God. So no matter what you do, your job is a platform for God's kingdom. It was an eye-opening, life-changing experience. She saw this differently. She saw a new perspective in going to work, and uh, so did her prayer time. She added the needs of others and her company to her prayer times, rather than just asking God to do things for her. For the next two years, every Thursday, she prayed on the phone with a friend at 6 a.m. for her company. See, now that's one of the problems. We want it to happen like tomorrow. She spent some time. She spent two years praying for her company. She turned over her sphere of influence, which was a cubicle to God. She had one small cubicle. She gave it to God. Hmm. She was in a large room of workstations. It wasn't much, but it was the thing she had authority over. She made it the outpost of his kingdom and a point of intercession for others to pray. To her surprise and satisfaction, in a short time, her co-workers took the initiative to suggest forming groups to pray about everything from sick people to troubled families to broken equipment in the company. What would happen if you owned a company and all of a sudden your employees started praying that the equipment would last? Wouldn't you love to have those type of employees? If you own a company, I would. I mean, if you own a church, pray that the sound system works. They get demon infested. I've just watched them. Not intentionally, it's just the enemy likes to make them hum and buzz and go. And for several years, the company, now listen to this, this is one lady in a cubicle, walked into her cubicle, was making a declaration that God is coming to this cubicle and the gates of hell are not going to prevail. This cubicle is an outpost for the kingdom of God where she worked. It wasn't in her church, it was in her cubicle. She began to pray. For several years, the company had been losing money and management had spoken of giving it one more year to turn things around. It was dismal. But Jessica and the others took on the burden of her corporation to begin the, to intercede in the, in, and, uh, and pray in faith. When the business hit a Luno, she went to the vice president to inquire if she could pray for the recovery miracle. Now they're going to close the business. This isn't the vice president. This isn't the president. This isn't the CFO. This is a lady in the cubicle saying, can I pray for a miracle for our company? Well, I don't know what you would say if you were the president. Go ahead, I guess. He said, I believe in the power of prayer, so uh, I'm open to whatever works. Jessica organized three teams to prayer walk the company grounds. By that time, she and a co-worker decided to ask a group of men from the machine shop if they would join them. During lunchtime, Jessica began to share about who the real owner of the company was and to cancel the vision for transformation. Who owned the company? Jesus did. He just gave some men to be stewards of it. And women. The group found itself discussing how to welcome and throne Jesus as sovereign Lord over the corporation. Finally, one summer day at lunch with everyone in agreement, the three members of the group were shown by the caretaker how to get to the roof. While the rest remained in prayer below, they took a noise. Now, see, I don't know what you think about this. This doesn't really fit Baptist doctrine. I don't even know if it fits charismatic doctrine. But they took some anointing oil on the roof and they poured it on the roof and claimed the 100-year-old company for the Lord and prayed in Jesus' name that it would do well. It was a cloudy day and all of a sudden the sun broke through. You know what? On a cloudy day, don't you need the sun to break through? 
from that thing, from that moment on, after they anointed that building, see, I'll go in. I mean, and you're, some of you are looking, going, "Are you a Baptist pastor?" <laughs> oh yeah, I am. That believes in the power of prayer. That believes that you can anoint the sick and see them get healed. That believes that God wants to show up in a mighty way in Stillwater, Oklahoma. And I'm looking at the connection between New Covenant and Hillcrest. I'm going to finish this story. But I'm believing that if, if we catch this, has two churches and take three or 400 people into this community, this community could change. I don't need every other church. I, I need about two or 300 people. God, I don't. God does need about two or 300 people to step out and to say, I want to see the kingdom of God come and the gates of hell will not prevail no matter where I go. And I'm going to declare that. I'm going to tell you, you, you say you're going to do it, but it's going to be hard because you'll forget. I forget all the time because my mind gets distracted. I'm going to have to do something to remind me. And maybe just maybe every time I see you guys' face, I'll uh, go, okay, what did I say to the New Covenant to say? Oh, yeah, and when I walk into the police station, or when I walk into Walmart, or when I meet somebody at McDonald's, or I meet them at Panera Bread, wherever I go, I'm declaring that the kingdom of God is going with me and the gates of hell will not prevail. And if you go to a workplace, you do the same thing. I, I need to do that at Hillcrest, don't I? CJ needs to do it here. You've got time for the devil here. Well, they poured this anointing oil on it. They prayed for the company. And that moment on, things began to happen. The, machines, the machine stopped gathering, grew so much it had to move to a larger room. A co-worker who had worked in the plant 18 years was saved on a Friday. And on the following Monday, started a lunchtime Bible study. You know what? You get saved, you just want to tell people, don't you? Well, Jessica met with her, and almost overnight, God's vision for the company was downloaded to Debbie. She became a piece of dry wood ignited with a passion to pray, moving boldly among the workers in the plants, urging them to believe and intercede. Soon prayer points, the equivalent of a canopy of prayer, was organized over the company, each point consisting of two to three people who would pray during breaks. See, the Bible says where two or three are gathered, I'm right in the midst. And where two or three agree, I will answer. You see, you've got to get somebody with you. Today, the company has fully recovered financially and has more business it can handle. After three years of no salary raises, every worker received generous bonuses, pay increases, and the company has experienced the best revenues in the corporation's history. Wow. What are we doing when God wants to show himself strong in still water through us? Not through CJ, not, not through CJ, through John. But the power's in here, guys. You're the power. You have it. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and dwells in you, he dwells in me. And he wants us to walk in that. Where we go? See, I challenge this to Hillcrest. I've done this message at Hillcrest. I'm trying to do, it took me four weeks to do it, I'm trying to do it in 40 minutes for you. <laughs> because I had to look at them and say this, I don't want you to do something new. I want you to take what you have into your workplace. If you work at Walmart and a cashier, and there's two of you that are cashiers and work at Walmart, and you find out you're Christians, why don't you prayer walk Walmart? Well, they're a big corporation. They don't need any more money. No, but they need the kingdom of God at the Walmarts here in Stillwater. And the food pyramid does. And the whole, whatever they are, all these food stores and clothing stores. And, and then you know what else I to do? Now, I'm, I'm chasing a rabbit here, okay? I'm coming back in a minute. 
Oh, I got plenty of rabbit time, baby. <laughs> plenty of time. <laughs> I want to tell you, I, go, I drive through Stillwater. I want you guys to do this with me. I've told this to Hillcrest. Uh, you guys may catch it faster than they do. When you drive through Stillwater and you see an empty business, you need to put your hand over and declare that God's going to fill that business with a clean business. Amen? And if you guys buy one like Christie's Toy Box, they don't sell toys in there. They sell garbage. You need to declare that that one's going to close, but it's going to be... Rep- That's the ultimate repeal and replace, is to, re- is to repeal that crap and put something good in it. Just a thought. We got a government can't repeal and replace anything up there. But I'm going to tell you, we have a God who can. Just have some fun. Laughter is like a medicine to the soul. But you begin. You know what? You guys in Hillcrest are the two churches that pray up the most to pray every third Tuesday of the month. And if, and if you go, well, I haven't gone to that. I don't know if I should. You know what? We've got 60 to 90 people praying at the electric company for God to bless Stillwater. Wow. How'd that start? Well, I went to a meeting. I thought I was going to be in trouble. Now, you would never think I'd get in trouble. So they asked this meeting. What the, they had this meeting, and they're trying to make Stillwater a smart community source place and innovation point. I'll tell you what, the, the CEO down there at the Central Electric Co-op is a good man. He loves Jesus. And so he was doing this, and so at the end, I, I told this story. I said, you know, I have a friend that pastored a church in a community, and they were experiencing a drought. This is a rabbit. Remember, this isn't part of the sermon. This is bonus. They were experiencing a drought. And... uh their church was praying for rain, and that church was praying for rain, and this church was praying for rain, and that church was praying for rain. And he had this idea. Why, what if all the churches got together and got an agreement and prayed for rain? And he's had this thought, well, that's, that, they won't come to that. Churches are they're too busy. and you know. But I guess you know, when it gets bad enough, you'll even get together across denominational lines. So they gather on a Sunday night, and 300 people showed up to pray for rain. So I told the story. Because they're trying to bring unity into the community. And I said, you know, they prayed for rain. And about three weeks later, it started raining. It didn't stop raining until the drought was broken. The lake was full. And I said, I believe in a God who can bring unity into, this, into a community and can see himself glorified in a greater way when we pray in the name of Jesus. Now, this was at a secular meeting. Next day, I get an email from David Swank's secretary. Dave would like to meet with you. I'm going, oh, gosh. I have Jesus the meeting. And that's the first thing. You know, isn't, isn't it true the first thing that runs through our mind is something negative? So I get into David's office and he says, uh, John, so I want to tell you, we've been meeting for a year. You've come to two meetings. They're talking more about what you said in prayer than anything we've done. He said, would you be interested in taking the guy that Cody Challenger, he's at Life Church, he's on the committee, he wasn't there, so I just spoke up. I don't know why I would do such a thing. And uh, he said, would you and Cody consider running a prayer meeting for the city of Stillwater the, uh, once a month, and we'll buy the breakfast, and you guys just pray and ask God to bless our city? Well, let me pray about it. Okay. <laughs> That's no problem. So we're having a prayer meeting with 60 to 90 people from across the nominational lines, eight to nine churches, at the electric company. 
When did the electric company ever become the point of power prayer? We always thought they were power, but now they're powering prayer. And I want to cha- I want to encourage. I want to challenge. I just want to encourage you. If you're free on the third Tuesday of the month, come pray with us. I'm believing. I'm believing they're going to fill that room. We're going to have to spill that into the sides. Because God wants to show up in Stillwater. He wants the people who are seeing this city redeemed for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it happens when we walk into, and again, I'm going to go back to your word, when we walk into our place with a place of intimacy with God for our workplace. For our workplace. For what we're about. And so we want to be redemptive in our work. Electric company, prayer, I'm just blown away every time I walk in and think, gosh, who's coming? And my kids think it's really cool. One of them commented. See, I've got one here today. She's keeping an eye on me to make sure she can report to mom in case dad gets crazy. <laughs> I have my daughter Morgan here, and she is a five. And if I mention them without their name, without permission, it costs me $5. So I'll pay just because she is just one of the most lovely young ladies you'll ever get the chance to meet. And... Uh, and uh, she's also inspecting me for her mom to, to make sure. But uh, now I lost my train of thought. And that's <laughs> never good. I chased that rabbit and I went down the wrong hole. <laughs> but but I want to ch- encourage you to come to this prayer thing. It is powerful. We're seeing, we want to see God do a transformational work a redeeming work in the city of Stillwater. There are young people that come. There are senior saints that come. And uh, it's, it's just open to all. We, we do, and we do actually pray at this prayer meeting. This is unlike the one they do at the federal government where they have a prayer meeting and everybody talks and they go home. No, we actually get into groups and pray and believe God to move. You do get a bagel for free too. CEC buys you a bagel, so, you know. And it comes from Panera, so it's pretty good. But... Uh, we want our work to be redemptive. And, and lastly, we want our work to be missional. Because that's the next slide. And then that's the last one. I won't have to think about that if you go to missional and click. John 17, 18 says, As you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. See, God, God didn't call us just to go, Well, I made it. I'm going to make it to church on Sunday and that's about all I can get. No, he's sending us where? Into the world. Our work should be missional. I'm going to tell you one more story. I might tell you two. Let's see if I can find this one. The middle one. You may have heard of this place. It's called the Almost, Almost, A-L-M-O-S, prison. Almost, prison. It's in Argentina. Now, all these stories I'm telling you have happened in, like, within the past 20 or 30 years. This happened in the 1980s. This is the oldest story I'm going to tell. This happened in the 80s, and it's still happening today. There was a place called this prison, the Osmos Prison. It was the worst prison in Argentina. It had gangs, murderers. It also had a church in it, the Church of Satan. It was a cesspool, is the way it was described. It had evil and corruption, and they had made it impossible for Christians to come into the place to do Christian ministry. They wouldn't hire Christians. They didn't want Christians. They, they allowed no Bible studies in it at all. And one day, a guy by the name of Juan 
said, I think kingdom principles need to come in. See, we never need to take the church into a place. We need to take the kingdom of God in. Get the difference. They don't need Hillcrest at Walmart. They need the kingdom of God at Walmart. The government doesn't need new covenant in it. They need the kingdom of God in it. Every business needs the kingdom of God, whether it's public or private or wherever it goes. So he said, I think I need to do that. So this John, he requested uh, permission to hold meetings, and he was rebuked and told no. So he decided he would try to get in anyway, and so he applied to become a prison guard, which he was immediately turned down. Nevertheless, uh, he persisted, and he tried again, turned down, and finally he was in there applying, and um, he was taking abuse from other candidates, but he had a divine orchestrated meeting. The guy that was in charge of hiring, hiring became violently sick. And so Juan, in his infinite wonder, went up to him and laid hands on him and asked God to heal him. And guess what God did? Healed him right there. Guess what happened next? Juan got a job. As a result, the officer turned from the advocate to a mentor, and he got a job, and he held the first evangelical service in the history, which hundreds of inmates received the Lord, launching a process within a couple of years that led to 60% of the inmates becoming believers. In the meantime, the gangs were dismantled, the Church of Satan was put out of commission, and by either a change of drastic conversions or death by assault of internal fighting, every evil person, the main evil people, were gone. They had a choice, die or convert. Which I believe is not, you know, it's like, oh my gosh. But God knows. He sees can see the heart. Well, this was because, because John Juan saw his job as his ministry. And his position has a channel for the power of God to be demonstrated against the works of the devil. Working as a guard at first, then God enabled him to come up with inspired solutions to long-standing prison problems. The success invested him with the authority. He subsequently became the troubleshooter and the counselor to the director of the prison bureau. So now he's gone from guard to the guy telling the boss what to do. Oh, no, it's not over. See, God's never done. Well, the dramatic changes in the prison uh, uh, innovated the authorities to look for similar programs in other prisons. Uh, this is how uh, transformed inmates filled the evangelical seal and began to be transformed to other jails. They began to take these transformed prisoners to other jails to see them transformed. They're moving them around. And then they started what was called Unit 25, officially named Christ is the Only Hope Prison. Now this was born and became a place where guards and inmates would pray together. Prisoners would learn of God throughout the week and teach it to their families on visitation days. So this is what happened in this prison. The guards and the pastors came in and taught the prisoners the word of God. And when their families came, they had visitation so the prisoners could then teach the word of God to their families. Now this is novel. I think it might work. They, they, the, the prisoners never tried to escape, so they took off the cell bars and hung curtains so they'd feel like they had dignity. Oh, no, it gets better. In addition, now you guys are doing a fast. I'm going to give you a thought here. These prisoners fasted twice a week, and they took their little lunch portion, 
and they sent it to the inner city kids so they wouldn't starve. Whoa, did you get that? The prisoners, the prisoners are some of those selfish people you ever meet. If you ever do prison ministry, you'll find some very selfish people in prison ministry. These guys became so, some of you are shaking your head because Chris, and they're just like, oh my gosh. These guys quit eating their food so they could give it to kids who had no food. That's when I see, that's when I see God transformation. And then, they're, rate of going back into crime dropped to less than 5%. See, when Jesus gets a hold of things, and it goes on later to say, in one of the other books I've read, he actually became director of all the prisons over the whole nation of Argentina. I just wanted to be a prison guard and change one place. God had bigger things in store for Juan than one small prison. Some of you are in your workplace thinking, I'm just in this little bitty workplace. I want to I say to you, God has bigger things in mind for some of you. And if, even if he doesn't, and you think, I'm still where I'm going to be, he wants to use you where you are. He is sending you out into the world. He is sending you to be a redemptive agent to the lost, to the hurting to the helpless, to those who are distressed. When Jesus looked at the people, what did he say? They're distressed and dispirited. They're like sheep without a shepherd. He wept over them. When do you look at your coworkers who you know are dying daily and are, are eaten alive on the inside because they have no hope? When you hold it, do you weep over them like Jesus did? Do you ever look at them and go, gosh, Lord, you just need to show up in this place. Because, Lord, if you don't show up, there's no hope for this place. There's no hope for this business. What if two churches grasped this idea, went into the marketplace, and saw it changed? You know what? I figured this out the other day. Jesus sent 12 disciples out, and they turned the world upside down. Based on what they think the population was, to change Stillwater would take one-third of a disciple. One-third of one person would change all of Stillwater. What if a few churches got in their mind that God wanted to turn Stillwater upside down for his glory and his honor? What would happen? But see, we've got to start somewhere. We've got to get a grip that we can do this. And for some of you, I want to tell you, you, you're kind of grabbing it and going, yeah. For some of you, going, how does that really work? Well, I've got a video I want you to watch. It's about three minutes long. If you guys will stick that on. There's a conference we're going to do at Hillcrest. It's called Workers' Worship. It, I'm going to say this. It's a baby step conference. But, but there's directors of Annie Ann's is going to speak, director of some other places. It's going to be February 23rd. You're going to get an email from CJ to invite you. I want to encourage you to be there. Let's, just, let's watch this, and then we'll kind of wrap this thing up today. themselves as fellow free because of a new proposal. Well, many times they were trapped and beaten down. 
consider the reasons God may have set a job. We don't think about the purpose and meaning we could bring to our work. We simply focus on how it makes us feel. The waitress on our work is an opportunity to worship Him. As Christians, we are called to serve Christ with our lives. For a few, that means working as a pastor, a youth minister, or a missionary. Others serve the church by teaching children or singing in a choir. But when Sunday is over, most of us return to our jobs outside the church. For us, our mission is in the marketplace. We may not be the kind of missionary that moves to the far regions of Africa, but around a conference table, around a water cooler, around a cubicle, we have an opportunity to worship the God who created us. He gave us skill. He gave us passion. He gave us work. When we do our jobs with excellence and integrity and diligence, it's an act of worship. We are displaying God's see a divide between Sunday and Monday, between the sacred and the secular. We've been invited into parts of the world that a pastor or traditional missionary will never see. We have conversations with people who would never set foot in a church. Whether we love or dread our work, we choose to turn the focus away from ourselves and toward the mission God has for us. Church is not the only place we worship, and Sundays are not the only days in our calendars that have meaning. Every day on mission for God brings us great joy. Joseph's and Peter's who are called into faith. God has designed us. He created us to work and to worship. For us, work is worship. I want to encourage you on the 23rd of February to, uh, and it's like, well, how much does that cost? It's $25. But that includes a great lunch. There's no other cost, all your materials. And lunch. We're going to host it at Hillcrest. Uh, Eagle Heights is hosting it, and I don't care where you go to. But if you have influence over a business, or you have friends that you know that are in business, and you think, well, that w- this would be a good place for them even to begin to grasp this idea that might never walk into a church, but might go to a conference on that, I'd encourage you to pay their way. $25 is pretty cheap to pay somebody's way. If you own a business and have some workers, send them. Uh, I already know one company is talking about sending their entire leadership team to it because they want them to grasp this for their company. And so I I would encourage you to do that because I want to tell you, God wants to use you in Stillwater and the surrounding communities. He wants you to see your work as worship. He wants you to see you do your work excellent with redemptive causes, being sent out, being missional. And I believe that as we began to do that, we can see God show up in still water in ways that we would have never imagined. That's what I believe. The question is, I can't do it. I don't think Hillcrest ought to do it by themselves. I believe there ought to be four or five churches that come along and do this. But you know what? Where two are gathered in agreement. And we got two churches in agreement. Amen? Where two or three are gathered. I'll do it. And I'm going to tell you, God's looking for unity in his kingdom. Amen? And I am, gl- I am grateful to be uh, covenanted with C.J. Ellis. You have a great pastor. You have a great pastor. And uh, 
So when you get an email from him inviting you to this, you'll know what it was. You'll say the crazy guy from Hillcrest came over that told all the stories. <laughs> That's what I call myself. I just love Jesus, and I just want to see Jesus glorified in our city. Amen? The city you've been exiled in, pray for your city and seek its welfare. For in its welfare, you will find welfare. When we begin to see Christians go into their marketplace, pray for their businesses, we'll see the welfare of the city seat, and everybody in the city will prosper. Amen? I don't know how you exactly close, but I just want to pray for you, and then if there's something else you need to do, feel free to do it. Is that okay if I just pray over you guys and just ask God to truly use you? Father, I look at this group, and God, I'm humbled to be here. I'm humbled to be filling CJ's pulpit, and uh, I'm honored that he's at mine. And Lord, I just pray that as this group, this fellowship called New Covenant, grasp how God can use them in this city, that God, that you would truly bless them in that. And that God, that you would see them, see the miraculous happen, not just in this fellowship, but in their workplace, as they are intimate with you. And Father, I pray they receive that earlier word, that they would walk with you in, in deep intimacy. And as they do, you will show them the things that they're to do in their workplace, in the places they step their foot in. And they'd be reminded that the kingdom of God has entered and the gates of hell will not prevail. So God, I bless them with all spiritual blessings and ask that you would give them divine wisdom and divine guidance in all the places they step their feet. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for allowing me to be here today. 